Well, it's my great privilege to welcome someone who has been a tremendous friend and encouragement to both Nita and I and our family. Um, he has been a constant encourager and a champion. He has um, believed and seen things in us when we've not necessarily seen it in ourselves. And uh, we're so indebted and so grateful to John Glass. John, uh, for many years, was the general superintendent of the Elam churches. There are around 600 in the UK. And for 16 years, John was the leader of that movement until a few years ago when he retired from that role. And it was 10 years ago in this church. This church went through a real time of difficulty and trauma. And John was like a father in this place. And he provided care, stability, wisdom, and insight that brought this church through that very difficult time and pointed people's eyes to Jesus. I remember sitting in a car with John one day. I wasn't connected to the church here, but I was aware of what was going on. And I said to John, what sort of, you know, what do you think's next for Exeter? And he said, well, I think it needs like a Mark Pugh sort of person there. I was leading a national youth ministry at the time, and I loved what I was doing, and I had no intention of moving or changing. But that one conversation, I remember Nita and I had a date night that night, and the first thing I mentioned on our date night was that conversation with John. The date night didn't go particularly well, because at that point, we were just thinking about our changes. But God has been really kind to us over the last 10 years, and uh, he has healed and he has ensured that his church continues to move forward. And John, we're so indebted to you for your kindness. If you're glad that Nita and I came 10 years ago, then you can thank John. If you... Um, <laughs> wait, 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 because there's another, there's another side to that. If, you, if you're disappointed that Nita and I came, then you can blame John. Let's give John Glass a massive round of applause as he comes to share God's word to us. Thank you, John. Thank you, my friend. Love you. Thank you, Mark. Well, thank you for an incredible, incredible introduction. I do get different kinds of introductions, I have to tell you. Um, the church that Marilyn and I go to when, we are, uh, when I'm not on the road speaking, um, there's a mother, the young mother, and she's got a little boy called John, about this high. And she said, you know, there's another John that comes to our church. Um, and she, he couldn't think of another John, and she begins to describe me, and he thinks, he says, yes, Mum, I think I know what you mean. He's very, very old, isn't he? So she says, yes, he is. He says, you know what, Mum? He says, what? He says, he's very old. He's not even dead yet. So great introduction, but that's how other people see me, very old and not even dead yet. There is, and you don't need me to tell you, there's something very, very special going on here. Incredibly special. I was around at the time that Mark alluded to, very about 10 years ago or whatever, when this church went through probably the worst moment, I'm sure certainly the worst moments of its life. I've been on other occasions when I've seen the growth and the blessing, and it's been a joy to be here. But what's going on at the moment, and I come in as a visitor, some of the others of you this morning are visitors as well, I understand. There's something very special going on. Incredible. You know, sometimes when I, I see Mark and Nita's family, and I've known them since they were very little, the family, I would come and I'd say after a few wow, goodness me, you've grown, haven't you? They don't notice them growing because they're living with them. 
And sometimes it takes someone from outside to say there is a special moment going on that you're part of. And I'm not saying this because um, those who know me, you know, I'm a northerner. I just say like it is, basically. Um, and I'm not saying it because of what Mark has said about me, but I've known this man a long time. I could tell you stories, and I think when I've been here before, I have done about the way God's used him. I'm, I promised him I'd never go through those stories again. It just embarrasses him. But there is one thing I want to say about them, and that is I was the leader of the movement at one time for a number of years, and I invited Mark, one of the best decisions I ever made. I made good decisions, I probably made bad decisions, but one of the best was invite him to work alongside me in the leading the movement. He brought incredible wisdom, he brought creativity, and, uh, you know, obviously had a national position in the movement. And then one day he decided, it after, I think a little time after I'd left and retired, from the role, he decided he didn't want the position because he had a, a passion, someone say passion, passion that was bigger than the position. Some people wait for years, you know, to climb a ladder only to find out when they get to the top it's leaning against the wrong wall. It, Elam's 107 years old, I think, and I don't, I don't know of anybody who got in the position that he did and stepped aside from it because his passion was bigger. And you know what his passion was for? This house, for you. He wanted to con concentrate all of his energies on you, on, on Devon, on the Southwest, and God's honoring that and God's blessing that. Um, Mark, you know, I know you may never invite me again because I'll embarrass you, but I want to say, you and Nita, I've seen God's hand on your life for years. I said on Facebook before I even came here that they are two of the most astounding leaders, outstanding leaders I, I know, and I know hundreds and hundreds, thousands perhaps. But there's something on both of your life at the moment. I mean, I just said, I'm, you know, you Southerners are very gentle, aren't you? And you're very, I'm a Northerner and, and I don't show my emotions a great deal. But in this service, when Nita was praying, I thought, I'm, I'm going to try and keep it together. There is something powerful on you, Nita. And on Mark too. And on all of you. I turn around and I'm not just being nosy when I'm turning around when the worship's going on. I look over here and over here and up in the gallery. I'm saying, God, there's... God has landed on this place in a special way. You see, when we, when we become Christians, and not everybody here might be a Christian yet, I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. really want to do that. Best, you know, the decisions you make in this life, you know, who you'll marry, very important. The job you do, important, if you get a job. They only last for the time we're here, 85, 90 years. The decision to follow Jesus lasts for eternity. There was a time when you never existed. You never existed. I never existed. But once we exist, there's never be a time when we'll cease to exist. We'll live on forever somewhere. So this 60, 70, 80, 90 years is a little gleam of light between two eternities, one where we didn't exist and one where we'll exist forever. And it's here we make a decision what forever will look like in our life. So I'd really encourage you to do that. So Mark, Mark used, so there's something very, very special. And he used this phrase earlier on, just before I got up to speak, about 
the prayer meetings you're wanting and because of the, the relocation of timetables for morning and evening. We want to make space for God to do something. There is nothing more important, apart from our connection with Jesus, that can accelerate the trajectory of our spiritual life than making more space for God. Because it, God wants to land in a special way. Not all churches are like this, I want to tell you. God has landed, if you like, in a special way, and it's by no means finished, and it's by no means going to diminish. It's going to get better, and it's get stronger. It's get more powerful. It will affect more people. You know, do you remember the story in the Bible? It's in Genesis 8 about Noah, and you know the story of Noah and the flood and that kind of thing. And eventually, the waters of God's judgment came down, and, and it sort of beached itself on the top of a mountain. The Bible calls it Ararat. It's, in, it's out there in Turkey. And they were there, and it wasn't moving because they beached, they stopped. But the waters hadn't gone down far enough for them to get out because they're perched on the top. Imagine being stuck on the top of Everest in a boat. And, you know, it's not easy. So he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. He sent out a raven and to see if the raven would find any land, and it didn't. And he sent out a dove. Would it find any land? And it didn't. came back. It came back to the ark. And then he sent out the dove again, and it came back with an olive, olive uh, leaf in its mouth. So he thought, well, there is land somewhere, but the water hasn't receded yet. And then he sent it out again seven days later, and it didn't come back because the dove had found a place to land. Now, a dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. And all the time, there's lots of churches going on, having meetings like godly, lovely people. But as yet, the Holy Spirit, the dove, has not landed on them yet. Praise God, it will do. No matter what the denomination and the label is, we, you know, that's, denominations are important to a degree, uh, and, and you're part of a very good one. But what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, God is not looking for a label to land on. He's looking for people, to, amen, to land on and make a difference. We call it the glory of God. Now, different people in the Bible talked about they wanted to know the glory of God. Moses was one of them. Now, Moses lived 3,400 years ago. And he said, Lord, I'd love to see your glory. And God did a strange thing. He said, well, just stay over there by this rock. And I don't know how this happened or what happened when it was going on. You know what I mean? I don't know the ins and outs. I just say what happened. He said, just stand there. And the presence of God went by. And the Bible says the goodness of God passed before him. Now, what that looked like and how he sensed it, I don't know. But he says, wow, I feel a sense of the goodness of God. So the glory of God has got to do with experiencing God's goodness. 700 years later, David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, he said, Lord, I'd love to see your glory. I'd love to see your glory. And uh, God says, well, come out. It was nighttime. He says, come out of the house, stand and have a look in there. And he looks up and he sees the creative power of God in the stars. You can read about it in Psalm 19, verse 1. And he's breathtaking. He's breathtaking. He says, God, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
And the firmament showeth its handiwork. Day unto day, the utter of speech. There's nowhere in the world where you can look where the voice of your creative power is not heard. So Moses, it was goodness. It was a feeling. It was an important feeling. And you know, when you're in a meeting like this, how many people know, isn't it great to feel the presence of God? It's really great to sense the presence of God. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than my feeling and my existential moment and goosebumps going down my spine or your spine. It's more than feeling. It is an awareness that God is awesome. And God wants the God of the universe. He wants to engage with us. The dove wants to land this great, powerful God who doesn't want to just make us feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good, but he wants more than that. A place to land. And then, one time, well, let's jump into the New Testament. Now we're going back 2,000 years. So we've been back 3,004 with Moses, 700 years later with David. And then we're in the time of Jesus. He hadn't started doing miracles, but he did his first miracle. It was turning water into wine. And he, turned, he did that. And when he referenced, when the writer references that, he said, he thus revealed his glory. Someone say glory. So we've got three expressions of the glory of God already. A feeling of a sensation of the goodness of God. And so if you've gone through those moments, like we heard of in testimonies earlier, of people who felt that, uh, you know, Justin shared the story of that young man who'd, you know, been abused as a child. And, and what a thing for him to feel the presence of, a, of an ideal father. Amen. What a great thing in order to be sensed that we are connected with the God of the universe who strung the stars into space as easy as you and I put lights around a Christmas tree. That's the powerful God that we serve. But then it says when Jesus did his miracle, he thus revealed his glory. So you are connected and I am connected if we're giving our life to Jesus to a miraculous God. So the glory of God is to do with miracles. It's to do with the fruit of the Spirit, including goodness, and it's to do with a sense of His awesomeness. And that's all wrapped up in Jesus. You say, well, is it wonderful? It would be great. We serve Jesus in this church. He's the center of everything. That is how it should be. And the disciples, they realized the very thing. When they saw Jesus, they, they saw, they sensed the power of God. They sensed the goodness of God. They saw the miracles taking place. And that was great. And then seven days, seven days before Jesus is crucified, ten days before he's raised from the dead, he's praying for them. It's called the high, it's in John 17. And it's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he's praying for his disciples. And I mean, it's amazing. Can you imagine being there when Jesus is praying? Eh? You know, my first church was in Wales, not far from where Mark comes from, about 10 miles down the road from where Mark comes from. And, you know, I can think of an elderly, well, I say elderly lady, she's probably younger than I am now. But to me then, she, when I was a pastor when I was 21, so, you know, it's, she was elderly to me. And every time she prayed, my goodness me, it's like heaven opened. Didn't have a lot of money. Certainly didn't have any social standing. She was a godly woman, and it blessed me to hear her pray. Can, I don't know why I pick her out now. She's just she's been in heaven for years now. 
But what a thing to hear Jesus pray. And what does Jesus pray? John 17, verse 5, he says, Father, he says, I'm returning to you now. Will you glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began? So Jesus laid aside his reputation in order to come into our world because of his passion for us. He laid aside. He was still God, but the, the, the advantages of being God, if you like, he laid those aside, not the character, but his advantages, in order to come into our world. So the disciples had no problem whatsoever with saying, yeah, all the glories of God's wrapped up in you. But then their jaws would have dropped to the ground with the next words. So, Father, he says, I'm returning to you. Glorify me. I've laid aside the glory in order to come into the world as a baby, grow for 30-odd years. Incidentally, can I say to the young people here, do not think of Bible people as people with long beards who are ancient. Jesus was 33 years when he died. His disciples were young men. And even Abraham and Jeremiah and all these old geezers, they were young once. And they were actually young when God called them. Because he gave them a place to land. So he's saying, John, what, what is it that made them so astounded? He said, now, Father, I'm going back. I want the glory that you, going back to receive the glory that I laid aside. And now, listen to this. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. Wow. Wait a minute, you're going and everything that you are in the character of God, everything that you are in a sense of experiencing the creative wonder of a powerful God, all of that and the miraculous, that's down to us. And so now they were dispensers of the glory of God. And so from then onwards... Then we get the day of Pentecost when the power of God comes in a mighty way. And people, who, people like Peter who had failed. You know, Peter denied Jesus. Jesus decided, said, you know, one day, he said, you promised Peter to follow me to the ends of the earth. But um, I'm going to tell you, before the, cock be, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Somebody came to him when Jesus had been arrested and said, you were with him, weren't you? Because aren't you a Galilean? I can tell the accent. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> no, no. Nothing to do with me. I don't know him. And another servant girl, I'm sure I saw you with the disciples. Nothing to do with me. And when the cock crew, he went out and well bitterly because he'd failed. And yet when the power and the glory of God comes upon Peter in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, he goes out and he preaches and see thousands saved. You see... God can forgive when we failed and bring restoration, whatever you've done, as long as you create a clean place for the glory of God. I've traveled up this morning, up the M5, came off the road to Exeter, saw roadkill. Uh, I think it was a, a badger or something or a deer or something that had been killed. And I saw all these crows on roadkill. Do you know what? I've never seen a dove on roadkill. And so if we want to be, if we want to be, to embrace the space that embraces the presence of God, 
We need to give a clean place to land. That doesn't mean that we are perfect because none of us, including the preacher, is perfect. What it is, if we see anything that we think dishonors God in our attitudes and our spirit, we do everything that we can do to get it clean so that the presence of God can come. Who shall, stand in the, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? David wrote this. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up their soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully, he or she will receive blessing from the Lord because they've given a clean space. Given a clean space. I said, Lord, help my space, help my spirit, help my motivation, help my heart to be a clean space. It's not, that it, it's, it's not tarnished by jealousies and envies and, uh, and anger or things that shouldn't be there. I want to create a place, going back to what Mark says, his heart for the house, more space for God to land. Is there anybody in the house who wants some space in their life for God to land? Look at that, see? course you do. I mean, the people that God used are phenomenal. I mean, you've got people like Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus who, he says, I, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. I thought, well, how humble. I remember reading that as a young man. Well, how humble. Chief of sinners. He's the worst in the world. I began to read the Bible. He was the worst in the world. <laughs> he used to torture Christians. He would take people out of a room like this and take them with his henchmen out of a Christian church that was just beginning and he would torture them until they blasphemed the name of Jesus and then he'd stop the torture if they were still alive. And yet God makes him the writer of most of the New Testament that we've got, the planters of churches across the world. Why? Because he deserved it. No, none of us deserve it. Do you know why? He gave God a place to land. He repented, he cleaned the space, and he said, here I am. Look, I, I know about my past. I, I you know, read that person in the Old Testament, um, and she's mentioned in the New, um, Rahab. Now, there's a list in Hebrews 11 of the great men of faith and women. There's not many men and women that are mentioned. The one woman, or there's not just one, but there are just a tiny number of, out of all of the history who are mentioned is Rahab, and she was a madam of a, of a, a brothel. Before she encountered God. And she became one of the most amazing personal evangelists. Amazing. She's, see, two spies came to spy out Jericho. And, and, and she said to them, and they knew her reputation. They knew, you know, what she was about. And she said, you know, I believe the judgment of God's going to come on this city. And she, I don't want to be part of that judgment. I deserve it, but I don't want to be part of it. Can I get saved? And he said, well, you can, but, which, what do you mean, but? Well, you can, but, this, you know, you need to put a cord outside your window. Her house was built into the wall. It was a very thick wall. The house was built into the wall. The brothel, basically, was built into the wall. Put a scarlet cord outside the window. She didn't ask why, but she was just obedient. That scarlet cord, incidentally, was a picture of our salvation, the blood of Jesus shed for us. It's the same scarlet mark that when God's judgment was coming over Egypt and all the firstborn were being killed, God said, listen, don't you worry, stay inside your house and put over the lintel of the door the blood of an animal that's been sacrificed. And he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over it. Excuse me, pass over you. And so that's scarlet. And, and of course, it points to the cross, doesn't it? That we're not saved by our good works, 
by our background, by how long we've been a Christian. I've been a Christian a long time, obviously, as you've heard. It's not saved by that. It's saved by the blood of Jesus. So she gets excited and she said, do you mean that? Do you honestly mean that I can be saved from the judgment that's coming? Honestly. He says, yeah. She said, well, do you know, I'm going to ask you something. And then I don't know. I tell you what, I'd never buy a car off this woman because she, the deal she now does is amazing. I would never buy a car off her because I would be bankrupt buying, you know, a three-wheeler. She says, well, you know, you don't mind my background. I don't need to tell you about that. And, you know, I've, I've really got in. She's got this deal now to get saved by putting her... And frankly, let me tell you, finding something scarlet in her house was not hard. Because it was not only a sign of her salvation but, and God's salvation, but of her sin. She said, well, I want my mum saved. I mean, she's starting doing a deal. No, what background has she got? I don't want my dad saved. I want my cousin saved. I want everybody. They, said, I can't they must have said, I can't believe this woman. <laughs> hey, look, it's be saved herself. And so he said, well, look, we can do that deal on one condition. What's that? Get them into your house. When the judgment comes to bring the walls down, then um, if you can get them in your house, that's the only place that's going to be saved and secure. If I know a wall's coming down, and my house is in the wall. Where do I, do I not want to be when the wall comes down? <laughs> so she said, I'll do it. I'm not arguing with it. You know, sometimes you, I think there may be some folk here today, and I don't know because I'm a visitor like you. You know, you come with, well, I would become a Christian, but we come all these questions, all these questions, all these questions. Do you know, trust God with your life and give your life to him. And your questions will be answered. When I was a little boy, when you were a little boy or girl, you went into your room, you were only a toddler, and it was dark, and you went to a piece of plastic, white plastic, and you put a switch down, the light came on. You didn't have to learn how to wire a ring main circuit to get the light on. You acted in what we call faith. I don't know why this happened, but it happens. So she goes out to all her family. The spy's cleared off now. She goes out to her families. You can imagine it. I mean, the Bible didn't go through this detail, but this must have happened. She goes to her um, parents' house because she wants them to come into her house to be saved. And uh, you can imagine mum coming to the door. Hello, love, what do you want? And we haven't seen you for ages. You can hear a dad in the back. Who's at the door? You know, it was a draft. Who's at the door? And he says, it's our Rahab. I thought we told her never to come and darken the door again. Why she come? She's come to tell us about God and how we can be saved. You, you are joking with me. You are kidding me. But then they must have looked past the door to her eyes with tears running down. She had a passion. Someone say passion. Passion to see her mum and dad saved. And when the walls came down in Jericho, the Bible says, read it for yourself, Judges 6, I think it's in. He said, the whole walls were demolished apart from Rahab's house, and she was saved, and listen to this, everybody who was related to her. She'd got the whole... What an evangelist! But what a background. But she created a clean space for God to do something. Say, you know, my background. Or you might say, 
it's not my background. And this is talking about backgrounds. There's a church in Newtonards, Northern Ireland now. Not Newtonards, Newton Abbey, outside Belfast. Pastor's a friend of mine. Mark knows him well. Probably about 800 people there this morning. That man was a terrorist. I went into in Northern Ireland. He was in prison for years. And through his mother's testimony, he came to Christ. His life was changed. He never killed anybody. But, I mean, there's nothing God can't deal with in our life. He did, but his life was changed. He became a pastor. He's pastor in a great church. Ex-terrorist. This might shock some, but I was preaching a few weeks ago, not in a church as big as this, in a smaller church. The pastor and his wife were heroin addicts before they found Jesus. And she will say, I wouldn't say if she hadn't said it, she funded her habit in those days with prostitution. Pastor's wife now. You say it's impossible. No, it's not. Because she created a clean space for God to land. <laughs> Come on. The dove found somewhere to rest. Oh, we say, well, I've got nothing to offer God, John. I mean, you know, I haven't got any of that past. I wasn't a terrorist, and I didn't do all that stuff. But I just haven't, I haven't got the gifts. There's so many gifted people in this church and kind of stuff going on. And, you know, I haven't got that. And the testimonies we've heard, and I, I haven't got any of that. But you see, let me end with one story. And then we're going to, we're just going to pray together. In fact, what we're not going to do, we're not going to pray a lot. We're going to... Pentecostals, that's us, charismatics, we're very good at, what can I call it, transmitting. We transmit our testimony, we transmit our praise, we tell people we're very, very vocal, it's very good to be that, but we're not brilliant receivers sometimes. Some sections of the Christian church are better at receiving than we are, you know, just quietly. Are you with me? And later, in about five or five, six minutes, we're going to go not into transmitting, God, I want you, or even God, I love you at this moment. God, I receive from you all that you've got for me. I prayed a prayer when I was a young man. And I was, you know, as I said, I was a pastor when I was 21 years of age. And I was around that time, and I prayed this prayer. I didn't know what my life, where, what would happen with my life, one way or the other. I just wanted to serve God in whatever way God wanted to try and use me. I created a space in this lad from Manchester, basically. And I prayed, Lord, would you give me everything you've got for me? Now, that's an important prayer for us to pray. It means I don't want something that's not for me. I'm not going to be jealous of what you're doing in Mrs. So-and-so's life or Mrs. So-and-so's life. I want what you've got for me. Are you following me? And I prayed that prayer. And you know, it's one of the best prayers you could pray in your life. God, give me everything you've got for me. Because I'm creating a space for you to land. God, give me everything you've got for me. Let's say it together. God, give me everything you've got for me. Wow, can you imagine the new trajectory, the further, the faster trajectory of this church when that takes place? You say, well, I don't have anything to give. I end with this story, as I've said. It's the story of a widow woman with nothing, apart from two mites. Now, it's a unit of currency. I actually have at home a mite, 2,000 years old. It would have been in circulations in the times of Jesus. Actually, it didn't cost a lot of money. Well, I wouldn't have spent the money, but I was able to buy this thing. And it's worth 
one mite is one fourth of one pea. And that woman, when she watched people piling the notes into the offering and probably just wheeling the top off of a big wad of notes, she said, well, I can't do all that. I can't give much, but I'll give what I can. And she didn't give what she can. She gave everything she had. She didn't just keep one mite back. She put them both in. It's like as if she stepped into the offering bag herself. Do you know, if you and I, the Bible says, present your body a living sacrifice. You see, if you really want, like I really want, and I still want more from God at my age, if I really want everything God's for me, I've got not just to give to God a bit of my life and retain some for myself. I've got to step into the offering back. I've got to step in and say, Lord, this is the space, all of me. Not a bit of me. Not my Sunday mornings. It's what I am at work. It's what I am at school. It's what I am university. It's what I am in my, um, in, in my recreational time. I, want, I don't want to give me a, my religious bits. Lord, I want, you to, I want all of me. And I want to receive. I'm creating a space for you to land. You know, I believe there are those there who want that to happen here to, this morning. Big, 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 big ask. Big, big ask. Can we just bow in prayer a moment? Just a moment, bow in prayer. Can I ask first? Remember, I'm a visitor here. I'll be, you know, in a few minutes' time, I'll be up the M5 again. And you won't see me, but you see, and you may even forget who the speaker was today. That doesn't matter at all. I am just a postman. Your postman never writes you a letter. Never. His value is delivering faithfully someone else's message to you. That's what we preachers are. It's what Mark is, what I am. It's what Roger is out there. Roger, another friend of mine. Out there. It's, it's what, it's what, it's, it's what, it's what um, Justin, we're postmen. You haven't come here to hear about John Glass or what he's done or what he hasn't done. You haven't come here to hear a man speak. It doesn't matter the slightest that you don't remember the postman's name. But if you can say, God spoke to me on that morning in Rediscover Church and challenge me to open up my life. Now, you may never have made a decision publicly to follow Jesus. And you've had lots of, you've been like that person, so you've got lots of excuses why it can't be you. You're not good enough, you haven't got enough to offer. So that, that woman gave everything, although she was poor. But she gave more, Jesus said, than the rich people. Because when they had given, they had lots left. She had nothing left. But today you say, John, I don't understand all you're doing. But I need the light switched on. But don't ask me to understand everything in the Bible and ring main circuits of theology. I, I, you know, I don't want I want just God to make a difference in my life. I'll surrender my life to God. And if that's where you are, while heads above and eyes just raise your hand after three, when I read, say, three. Because I want to give you a bit of a chance to think. When I say three, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, just raise your hand when I say three. I'm not going to be bringing to platform like we did earlier. That's, you know, there's a place for doing that. I just want to see your hand. I acknowledge it, take it down, and I want to pray a prayer over those in the meeting who do that. Who today will surrender their life to Jesus? First time publicly, raise your hand. One, two, three. God bless you. God bless you. Sitting next to me on the front row. Wonderful. Anybody else? I'm looking in the balcony. You've never made the decision. Anybody else? 
well. And can somebody give a mighty round of thanksgiving to God for this guy? That's all, and, and people will talk to you afterwards and they'll have stuff for you to help you, you in your role as you, as you grow in God. Let's all stand together as I conclude my part. I'm hanging back to this amazing praise team. And it's not just, you're not just amazing because you're musicians. You are great musicians. You are not performers. You're leading me in worship because I'm watching you worship and I want to worship like you're worshiping. That's a basic... That's the best kind of worship leaders. You can do the business. You're amazing on guitar and keyboard. These guys are given a place to land. Now, remember what I said. Remember what I said. We're not asking God for anything. Not speaking in tongues. I did that earlier. We've Some of us did that. We're not doing that. We're not praising. We're transmitting. We're going to be receivers. Let's open our spirit. If, it's, if you're comfortable with it, open your and say, Lord, this is my landing strip. I'm not going to give you bits. Forgive me if I've given you bits of me. And I've confined you to my religious bits on a Sunday. But I give you everything, Lord. My recreational life, how I spend my time, what I look at on the computer, the things I see on Netflix. I give you everything, Lord. And I want it to be a clean space because you want to land there. And you're going to do awesome things in my life and through my life because of that just receive receive just receive I will pray over you Father I thank you for every man and woman young person who's here this morning you can see us Lord I've got my hands up as well Lord I need more of you I want to Lord will you take every space in my life for the years I've got left will you take every space Lord Help me to make, make it a clear landing. Lord, I don't want anything. Sometimes, Lord, we're in a plane and they say, we can't land at the airport because we're held in a holding pattern. There's congestion on the runway. Father, of all the blessing you've got for us as individuals and this church, don't let anything be held in a holding pattern. We receive it now. Just say it out. I receive it now in Jesus' name. receive your blessing. God, give me everything. Come on. God, give me everything you've got for me. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this house. Thank you for what you're doing in this season. Thank you for Mark and Nita and the team and all that you're doing in their lives. Father, will you accelerate it? Father, will you accelerate it? Will you increase it more and more? In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand of praise in Jesus' name.